Good morning, church. If you have your Bible, if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the pews in front of you. It's on page 46. Or if you have a smartphone, that will find it as well. This morning, our passage captures Moses' call, but it does so much more than that. Because it's not just that Moses is commissioned to do this great work, but God himself reveals truths about himself that are life-changing on their own. That God is self-existent. That he possesses the power of being. And if you think that, oh, Exodus 3, I am who I am. When I first started to study this week, that's kind of where my mind went. And there's a natural, appropriate intimidation that we should feel with verses like that. At the beginning of this week, I felt this weight of like, oh man, I'm preaching God saying that I am who I am. And yet, as I studied and I realized the context of the whole chapter, that that life-changing truth is only the tip of the iceberg. Because God is transcendent. He is beyond us in a way that is hard for us to even comprehend. We will be stretched to our mental limits this morning. I'm going to talk about some heavy philosophical things. And yet, if we only end there, if this is only some philosophical lecture, I will not have been faithful to this text because this God, who we should not be able to understand or know, introduces himself by name. He calls Moses by name. He uses some of the language we looked at last week of hearing his people, seeing his people, knowing what they're going through and promising deliverance. Promising deliverance not just from their slavery, but to the promised land where they will worship and commune with God. Christianity is unique among the world's religions. We worship a personal absolute. Most religions in the world have a concept of an absolute power or force or being. Think New Age. Think, think most of the world's religions. There's There's a power that is beyond us. We as people innately understand that we are limited. We feel our bodies breaking down. We also know that we are limited in our morality. We know we are not as good as we ought to be. And so it's easy for us to think of someone or something beyond us. There are some religions that have not an absolute power, but a a kind of greater than us person. Um, Think of the Roman gods. They were like us in many ways, but they were not all powerful. Again, as human beings, we innately can imagine someone greater than us, but because of the way we know our limitations, it's hard for us to sometimes imagine 
someone all-powerful or all-knowing. And yet, like I said, Christianity is unique. Our God is absolute. He is absolute reality itself, as we will see this morning. And yet he's personal. He initiates a relationship with his people. He is persons. He is three persons in one God. And he wants to know us. And he wants us to know him more deeply. My aim this morning and my, my prayer is that we would think big thoughts about God because he is a big God. But not just so that we would think thoughts about him alone. My aim is that we would encounter God. Moses encountered the living God and was changed. He is eternal. He is independent. He is self-existent. And he has introduced himself to us by name. In our understanding, you can imagine him sticking out his hand for a handshake. He is with his people in order to act on their behalf and to bless them. And the greatest blessing known to man is to know this God. So if you would stand with me as I read Exodus chapter 3, and then we will dive in. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take, off your sandal- take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on and your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians." Let's pray together. Father, if ever we needed you to reveal yourself to us, it is this morning. Would you speak through me, a weak vessel, to reveal awesome truths about yourself? May we be awestruck at who you are but may we recognize that you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Bull Street Baptist Church. May we be transformed, changed into people more in the image of your son so that when we leave this place, the world would see what you look like through us. May people see the self-existent God through this week redeemed people. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. My outline consists of two points. We said that God is a personal absolute. I want us to meditate on his absoluteness first. Let's be awestruck by his greatness so that when we consider his personness and his relating to us, we would be that much more humbled and transformed to realize that this God wants to know us. So first, the God who is. Look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This statement, I am who I am, is speaking of God's self-existence. He is not dependent. He is not contingent. He contains in himself the power of being. Just to look at how God initially responds to Moses when Moses asks his name, there's this statement, I am who I am, then the statement, I am has sent me to you, and then the Lord. That Lord, capital L-O-R-D, with smaller capital O-R-D in your Bible, the Lord, that is the name Yahweh. At first, God is answering Moses, not yet quite saying his personal name, but just answering Moses by describing himself. The name Yahweh in our language would be Y-H-W-H, and it's coming from the verb of to be, which he says, I am who I am. So the Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlapping here. He is introducing himself personally, but first there is an aspect of him describing himself. I am who I am. God contains in himself the power of being. If something exists, it must have a cause. In philosophy, this is the, the law of causality that for something to exist, it must have a cause. Nothing creates nothing. Nothing comes from nothing. Something has to come from somewhere or something or someone. A single molecule testifies to the existence of God. Where philosophers have gotten off track is they, they think that that law of causality is everything has a cause. So this pulpit was made from wood that came from trees that came from God. Well, if everything has a cause, where did God come from? And this pushes some philosophers toward atheism to say, well, Eventually, you get to chaos. The problem is the law of causality does not say that everything has a cause. It's every effect has a cause. And all that we see in all of creation are effects. They testify that they came from somewhere. When we think of states of being. We think most basically at a material level of the rocks and the earth and the ground. And then we think a little bit higher than that, maybe there's plants. They're a little more complex beings. Beyond that, you get animals getting more complex all the time, and then you've got human beings. There we are at the top. 
but beyond us. You might even think of angels or demons, spiritual beings. Maybe you think of them as, as, as transcendent to the human level. And then ultimately we talk about a supreme being. But that's a little bit of a misnomer. Because when God says, I am who I am, he is saying that he has the power of being. No human being is able to exist on our own. If you cut the oxygen off to us, we will cease to exist in a few moments. We are not able to exist ourselves. All things in this world, everything points to someone having made it. And there are so many things. There are so many effects in the world. This world is packed with so much more creation than we can even comprehend. We have mapped the surface of the moon and the surface of Mars, but we have not yet mapped the floor of our oceans. Do you know how many species of snails there are? I'll tell you, it's more than you think. There are over 40,000 species of snails. Have you thought about snails in the last 10 years of your life? There's over 40,000 species of snails. That's just on our planet. Do you know how many moons the planet Jupiter has? I'll tell you, it's more than you think. We've discovered at least 95 moons going around Jupiter. The biggest one is bigger than the planet Mercury. I love talking about scale when you get into outer space. If you, if the Earth were a grain of sand, okay? There it is in our hand. There's the Earth. The sun would be the size of a billiard ball, a cue ball. And we would be about 20 feet away from it. So this stage is probably 20-ish feet. You can imagine a cue ball over here and a grain of sand over here. That's us. That's our neighborhood. I know Pluto not, is not technically a planet anymore, but do you know where Pluto would be? If the sun is a cue ball and it's right here and the earth is a grain of sand, and it's right over here, Pluto would be at the south end of Forsyth Park. Our solar system would be four football fields across. That's our solar system. Proxima Centauri is the next closest star to our solar system in the Alpha Centauri group. Do you know where Proxima Centauri would be at that scale? It would be the size of a pearl. It's a little smaller than our sun. 
and it would be in Detroit. <laughs> what? Creation is hard for us to fathom itself. I'm talking about our solar system and the next closest star, and we can't really understand that. The biggest star in our galaxy, the Milky Way, is named UY Scuti. I don't know. That's what they say. That's what the internet says. And it would swallow this building and probably most of the parking lot. Be 200 feet across at that scale. A million Earths could fit inside our sun, and a billion with a B suns could fit inside the biggest star in our galaxy, our one galaxy. They think there might be two trillion with a trill galaxies. And in all of that, in all of that, there is no thing that exists on its own. All of that is in a state of becoming. I am probably 10 minutes older than when I first got on this stage. We are all moving toward dust, all things that I just listed. Even the rock sitting outside at a microscopic level, the wind and the sun, it's decaying. It's all dependent. It's all contingent. But there is one who is not contingent. He is who he is. The bush burns and is not consumed because he is self-existent. His glory will never be extinguished. His beauty will never fade. He is not fueled by anyone or anything. In the beginning, God. There was a beginning and God was there. The earth was formless and void. There was emptiness that God made. There was a time when there was not emptiness. But there was God. The four living creatures in Revelation sing day and night without cease. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The God who is, is self-existent. The God who is, is eternal. He is eternally three in one because he is unchanging. This is not God the Father showing up to Moses because it's the Old Testament and Jesus comes along and really starts doing stuff in the New Testament. This is God. God is having an encounter with Moses. The three persons of the Trinity are present here. 
Notice that in verse 2 it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Whenever we see the angel of the Lord, we have to look very closely because sometimes that word in the Old Testament is used to speak of a messenger for God. But there are a few times, a couple times specifically, where the angel of the Lord speaks as God. There are other places in Scripture where an angel is initially worshipped like in Revelation, John sees an angel twice actually and bows down and the angel is like, no, 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 get up. But the angel of the Lord here and the angel of the Lord specifically in Genesis 22 when the Lord provides a substitute for Isaac, that angel of the Lord speaks as God. And many theologians and Commentaries will, will speak of this not necessarily being the pre-incarnate Christ, but a theophany, which is before Christ had come, God-man incarnate in the flesh. It's, it's God's showing himself in a physical way. But the God who is, is eternal. The Trinity is here present. This is Christian scripture. And that's significant because of where we're going. God is the God who is, but he is also the God who imparts. We are persons because we were made by a person. It's sort of Christianese to talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And I, we know what that means, and it's fine to use that phrase. We've all used that phrase. But there's a reality that all persons, all image bearers, have a personal relationship with God. For many people, that relationship is estranged. I could deny the existence of my parents, but it doesn't change that they are my source. And if I were to deny their existence, it would break our relationship. <laughs> and so this is not just a philosophy lecture. Because everything we've talked about so far is about the truth of God. But the book of James says, even the demons believe. It's possible, it's possible for you to have listened along this whole way and even affirm these things that, well, yes, okay, philosophically, there must be one behind all of this stuff. And for you to not know your God. Praise God that he imparts himself. He continues to describe himself and what we see is a God who is intimately merciful. Notice the first thing that God says in this passage. 
before he has described these mind-blowing truths about himself, and before he has even introduced himself by his name, he calls to Moses by Moses' name. Moses, Moses. I love the psalm that we read at our call to worship, Psalm 139, that it's too lofty for us to comprehend that God would knit us together in our mother's wombs. Even that language is so beautiful. God spoke all of creation into existence. The stars that are incomprehensibly far away from us, he spoke it all to in, in, into existence. And yet in Psalm 139, he's knitting us together in our mother's wombs. God knows you by name. Isaiah 43 picks up some themes from the Exodus and says, but, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. The Lord calls to Moses by name. But then, notice the next thing he says. Moses says, here I am. And then the Lord says, do not come near. Take, off your, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He immediately gives him instructions that presumably are to protect him. We as sinful people cannot draw near to this pure, holy God. And yet in the Lord's mercy, he calls to Moses by name and then gives him the appropriate instructions for how they can communicate. He goes on to tell him that he is the God of his father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is again pulling on God's eternality. It wasn't that Abraham had a God and then his grandson had another God and now Moses is going to come out. This is the same God. But God is also speaking to his covenant faithfulness. When his people come to him in faith, he is pleased to be known as their God forever. We can have some rose-colored glasses and think of like, yeah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. But think about the stories of Genesis. These were some very flawed brothers. And yet this is how God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He echoes some of the language we looked at at the end of chapter 2 last week. When he says in verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. He knows the details. He understands in an experiential way. He hears their cry. Every prayer that is prayed, he is listening. Listening. 
if he is able to sustain the galaxies, uphold them by the word of his power, if he knows where every 40,000 snail species is on the earth, he can hear the prayer of all of his people. And he is listening and pleased to respond to their prayers. Pastor Doug is speaking on uh, Exodus 4 next week and going to talk more about Moses' response. And so we're not going to touch on that very much right now. But let's look at what else the Lord says when he's speaking of his himself. He says, I am who I am. He's speaking to his self-existent nature. Then he says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Still using the to be verb in the Hebrew, ayah, ayah. Then in verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh. It transforms the, the verb to be into a name. I said in our language it would be YHWH. The people of Israel, out of reverence for this name, didn't even want to speak it. And so, but you have to, you have to say it sometime. You have to say something. So they took the vowels from the word Adonai, which means Lord, like in a L, lowercase o-r-d sense, like one who is master, one who is king, one who is lord, Adonai. They took those vowels and put them between the consonants taken from the verb for I am, a what we have is y-h-w-h, and end up with Yahovah, Jehovah. And so 6,800 times throughout the Old Testament where you see all caps L-O-R-D, that is the Lord, God's personal name, Jehovah, Yahweh. If the O, R, and D are lowercase, it's just speaking of master, king. And sometimes God is described in that way. But here, God sticks out his hand and introduces himself by name. He has revealed himself to the patriarchs, to Noah, to, to people before this. But now as God is drawing a people to himself, he reveals himself in a new, more clear way that this is his name. This name is going to go with this people and this people are going to be the people of this name. And with that come just the most amazing blessings. The Lord tells him, go gather the elders of Israel together and tell them the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. There is blessing here that, again, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, this language, you can just start to rattle off and all the ites and the milk and honey, like, yeah, 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 covenant language, we know it, but let's slow down and think about 
How amazing this is to hear if you are an enslaved people making bricks for a foreign king. Milk and honey, I can walk to the Gwinnett Kroger and buy more milk and honey than I can consume myself safely. But put yourself in an agrarian culture. Milk and honey require green pastures. They require harvest. They require consistent harvest. There is peace that is promised here. There is ownership. There is stability. You are no longer going to be under the thumb of this arrogant, narcissistic Pharaoh. A land flowing of milk and honey is you're going to be able to feed yourself with good things. It's going to be abundant. It's going to be flowing. It's also going to be spacious. It's, it says a broad land. And look at how many kinds of peoples are going to have to be kicked out of the land for Israel to come in. Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. There's going to be plenty of room for the Israelites. Finally, there's going to be riches that he promises. We'll see as we get there in the narrative. But Egypt is going to be so ready for Israel to leave that by the time the exodus is happening, they're going to give them their material goods on the way out, clothing, silver, and gold. From our vantage point, looking back, we are able to see that these promises, these covenant promises, have their greatest fulfillment to this point in history in Christ. In Christ, there is peace. There is peace between God and humans. Romans 5. There's also peace between people. Ephesians 2. The, the promised land was spacious enough for the ethnic people of Israel to inhabit it. But now... The kingdom of our Christ is spacious enough that all who would call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what about that name? Yahweh, 6,800 times in the Old Testament. In John 8, Jesus is having an interaction with the religious leaders, and there's some conflict they're saying that he's doing his miracles and signs by the power of Satan. And he tells them, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus uses bad grammar to show that he was here in the bush. He spoke with Moses. And then he was speaking to the religious leaders. 
And eventually, again, from our vantage point, we see that he would ascend to the Father and flames would come down from heaven, no longer in the branches of a bush, but on the heads of the branches of the vine at Pentecost. And now it is no longer about an ethnic people displaying what God's glory is like to the world, but people from every tribe and nation and tongue can come to the Father, to the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. The God in the burning bush has been united to our souls. What? What boldness this should give us in evangelism, in fighting our own sin. Moses, again, I'm not going to steal Pastor Doug's thunder, but he objects here in this passage we saw, and he says, who am I? Who am I to go speak to Pharaoh? Pharaoh's the most powerful man in the world. He snaps his finger, and chariots are mobilized. He enslaves nations, has them build cities. The pyramids are the only wonder of the ancient world left standing thousands of years later. That Pharaoh... Who am I to go speak to him? God says, who are you? I am. I am. I am with you. That is the God that is with us. We have the helper. We have the counselor. We have his Holy Spirit. Church, let's be bold in putting our sin to death because it has no power over us. We have the one who has the power of being with us. How small do our struggles with sin seem? How small does the potential awkwardness of sharing the gospel with a coworker or with a family member? Sometimes it's way harder to share the gospel with a family member. I understand that. There's a relationship there. But how small is that compared to us having the God who is in us? Church, let's not be functional polytheists where we read, oh, the Old Testament, that was the Father doing stuff, then Jesus came, and now we have the Holy Spirit. This is Christian scripture. If some of the mind-bending philosophical aspects of God incline you to not want to study him more, I would challenge you to recognize that every page of scripture is telling the story of God's redemption of his people and it's him introducing himself in new ways. I would implore you to draw near to him as he draws near to you through his word, by his spirit. I feel like I've said this in multiple sermons, but there's a song I want to introduce eventually <laughs> that I think the words uh, are a beautiful way for us to end. It's written by the Gettys, and it's called I Am Not My Own. It says, the one who made the heavens made my heart and soul. Before I drew a breath, I was loved and known. I am his creation, 
the maker's masterpiece, and all that he designs will be done in me. My body is a temple of the living God. I'll worship in this house that his blood has bought. As I bear his image, oh, may I not profane the holiness I hold in this earthly frame. And if he has redeemed me, I am not my own. The measure of my worth is his love alone. He declares my standing and he declares my state. So I will know myself by the name he gave. Let's pray. God, we come before you humbled. in awe of who you are. I praise you for the mercy you have shown us, for the ways you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, we depend on you revealing yourself to us. Lord, I want to pray for someone in here. I'm sure in a group this large that there is someone who perhaps has even claimed to know you for years, decades perhaps. But maybe the way that they have known you is in that purely intellectual, philosophical way. Would you be so kind to work the way that you work now at this time, no longer through burning bushes or talking donkeys or prophets, but now at this time, You are pleased to reveal yourself through your word. Jesus was the final word, and this word testifies to him. Would you be so pleased to speak to the one in here who needs to know you in a relational way? Would you open their deaf ears And Father, for your church here, I again just praise you that you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and John the Baptist and Peter and Paul and Bull Street Baptist Church. May we walk in confidence and boldness as we read your word, as we set aside time to consume it, as we spurn the the treasures of this world for the hidden treasures of your kingdom? Lord, would you make us a people who look like you to the watching world? And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.